Welcome to Conversations with Healers, a podcast and video interview series that features intimate, soulful, and cozy conversations with self-healers and healers. Healer to healer, we dive into all aspects of self-healing and healing and being and becoming a healer. I am Damla Aktekin. I am a healer and the host of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. If you are new to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so that you can be aware of new episodes. I also invite you to visit adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com, where I share a lot of free resources for self-healing and healing, and you can take a free quiz to find out what your energetic wounds are and how they may show up in your life. Discovering what your wounds are is the first step in healing them. I hope you enjoy this episode. There is one more thing I would like to share with you before you listen to this episode. I created a wonderful container to help you process the collective trauma of the pandemic and begin to heal your energetic wounds. It is an energy healing membership called Chakra Bliss Vault. Every month you will receive three new crystal healing sessions Plus, you'll immediately have access to my entire energy healing recording library when you sign up. The membership is really affordable and will continue to be so. You can find out more about it at adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com. I invite you to make your healing a priority and invest in your well-being by becoming a Chakra Bliss Vault member. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Healers. I have here with me a good friend, Gracie Obahovics. I'll say that again. Yes. Obahovich. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> good. So, Gracie is a Washington, D.C. based self care consultant, group facilitator, and retreat leader. She's also a certified integral facilitator. 500-hour yoga teacher and a continuing scholar of Ayurveda. She's the author of the beautiful book, Self-Carefully, and you and I met during our yoga teacher training, Gracie, so I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me, Damala. It all started back in 2009, right? We I showed know. up and <laughs> did that 30-day intensive of yoga, but it's, it's been really beautiful to get to see how that yoga has manifested in your life and your work and um, in mine too, and just how that spirit of yoga really fuels everything. Yes, yes. And I feel like I got to watch you sort of change and evolve into what you're what you're doing today which has a lot to do with self-care and bringing that self-care into work environments and to individuals I want you to tell us your story though like what what sort of like big uh, bullet point journey journey brought you to here to what you're doing today mm, thanks Donna. So I started off teaching yoga, as we said, in 2009. And, you know, before that, I had felt pretty lost in my life for a while. Um, I had lived abroad for a while. I'd come back. I've been pretty depressed for about a year. And the thing that got me out of that fog of depression was going to yoga. And it wasn't like an immediate thing, but it was just like, the more I went to yoga, the more I wanted to take care of myself, the better I felt. And then finally I got to this point where I was like, this is, this is it. Like whatever my life path is, like it involves yoga, which is when I decided to sign up for the teacher training when I met you. And I loved teaching group classes, private lessons. And I did that for about five years where I just taught all the time. I didn't even have a car in DC for the first two. So I just ride my bike everywhere, teach these classes. And, and I felt really satisfied. And then that thing happens where I think I was ready to grow and do more. And, um, and I wasn't quite sure how to do it. I remember thinking about buying a yoga studio and doing my own teacher training and nothing felt right. And I finally found this course for um, learning Ayurveda 
And Ayurveda was something that all yoga teachers, you get like a little basic lesson in it when you're being trained, but I wanted to like really dive into it. So I signed up for this nine month long immersion and my whole life just changed. Like I was in a relationship and all of a sudden I wasn't in that relationship anymore. And my, the way that I ate changed, the way that I woke up in the morning changed, the way, the way that I felt about myself changed. Like I just found this whole new layer of confidence and desire to be a leader that I never had felt before. And around that time, the person who was um, leading this Ayurvedic immersion said that she offered a, a yoga health coaching is what she called it. And I didn't quite know what that meant, but I knew that like that whatever the path was, I could trust that feeling like this is it. So I signed up and I, I started leading group coaching courses around teaching people Ayurvedic habits, which I, I thought was just going to be about how we eat and sleep, but it turned out to be so much more. And the women that I worked with um, started opening up about all these, you know, things about sense of self and, um, you know, how much power they were allowed to have in their lives and how, how they could be vulnerable. And I recognized the, how hungry we are to be able to have communities where we're talking about personal growth and where we're supporting each other and up-leveling our lives and how, how rare that is to find one where we can really feel that authentic kind of community. And so I, that's when I was like, I need to get a facilitation training because all of this is really powerful and I need more skills. So I got to sign up for a facilitation training, which focuses on how to help groups have transformative experiences, how to work through conflicts, um, how to really use what's happening in a, in a room full of people to help everybody grow. And from there, I started working within corporate and um, nonprofit situations, particularly within schools, helping them with their wellness culture. And over the past year, I've uh, decided to make this pivot where I think that the, the work world is pretty broken in a lot of ways, as many of us are realizing. And I, I believe some of the self-care work that I've been helping to innovate and discovering along the way can be um, really a positive factor in shaping culture as we move forward in, in the work world. So I'm still doing some individual client work, but the majority of it is working within organizations right now to help their self-care culture. Yes, I'm, I'm fascinated by all that you do. Um, I want to dive into, because you have a book called Self Carefully, and I know you have a lot of um, different ways of um, defining that, but tell me what what is self-care for you? And I want to then tie it to what I, when I talk about, you know, the daily practices, I talk about self-healing the most, and I feel like there are parts of our work that uh, overlap and then there are slightly um, different versions of, of the same thing. So I want to hear you define what that is for you, what, what self-care is. Absolutely. Well, in the book Self-Carefully, what it is, is it's a series of vignettes, which the titles are Self-Care and, and then it's topics ranging from self-care and eating lunch to self-care and changing with the seasons, to self-care and racism. So we we really go from like very light kind of ways that we move in the world to like very big issues that humanity struggles with. And when I was working with the team that did self-carefully, we were like trying to think of a name for it. We're like, what is this? And, and self-carefully came to mind. And, and it really, it helped me so much to understand that what self-care is, is it's it's not just a list of items. Because I think a lot of us, when we think of self-care, we think, okay, these are the things I have to do for myself. And if I do them well and I check them off, I'm good at self-care. And if I do them poorly, then I'm bad at self-care. But rather, it's a way that we can see the world and a way that we can see ourselves. Because the self-care that works for me is, um, is probably going to be different than the self-care that works for you, Donala. It's mm -hmm. like the way that you need to wake up in the morning is probably different than the way I need to wake up in the morning. The, um, the changes that I have to make at this point in my life are probably different than the ones you have to make. And yet we're very much sold a one size fits all self-care culture. It's a lot like drink the eight glasses of water a day and do your like 30 minutes of cardio three times a week and just the rules. And I think some kind of rules are helpful to give us structure. But what happens is that we lose trust in ourselves and our own ability to recognize what we need and to make decisions based on that. 
So what, what I see self-care as is a perspective or a filter that we can put on when we look at a situation to say, well, you know, what does my self need right now? And this can be, you know, and having a conversation with another person, we can look at it from a filter of like, I want to make them happy. <laughs> I want to be like, kind of do the people pleasing thing. And that's a filter I can very easily put on many situations. But what I, what I invite people to do is to be like, put the self-care filter on, like, what is it? What do you, what do you need to say right now? Or what kind of boundary do you need to set? Because it's, it's always going to change. And what I needed in self-care 10 years ago, um, when I did not have kids, that was, it's so different than what I need in self-care right now. I know you're a mama, you get, you get that. And if I was trying to still kind of fit myself into the, what I was doing, then um, I would suffer as a result. So what I feel very empowered for people to, to connect to is one, the self that like you, you need to pay attention to yourself and and listen and uh, kind of notice what makes you thrive and notice where you kind of sink into some spirals that are not so helpful. And then it's the care. So you can do an action that is, um, you know, kind of on one level might seem really nurturing, like going for a run, but some people it's like their bodies just don't run that well. They get knee issues they get. And so that's the care is like, is, is running care for you or would being like going on your yoga mat for 20 minutes and doing a stretch is that it, or is pushing yourself the care you need just to like meet your goal? Or is it like taking a, a nap? And so I think the more that we can stay connected to what feels like care and who we are and just always recognize that that we um, we get to like really choose what those things are. I think that's the self-care that I find to be most authentic and really most effective. I, I love that. And as you're talking, what it's reminding me is um, the word discipline and how I I had to redefine that for myself because like you said, I thought discipline was saying like, I'm going to run every day for, you know, forever, or I will cite this mantra every single day of my life, rather than saying discipline for me now is I'm going to care for myself, however I need to in the moment. And that changes day to day and moment to moment. And I feel like where I coincide with you is what I call self-healing is um, more on the yin side of it. Because for me, self-healing is like recognizing you're you in sort of a turmoil or, or chaos or, or incoherence and then taking time to find some kind of coherence so that you can reconnect. So find coherence, some sort of order in your system, in your heartbeat, in your breath, and then reconnect with what's important to you. And then the yank part of it or the action part of it is what I call taking inspired action. So the self-healing isn't like end all be all, but it's necessary for you to connect to what matters, what you need in that moment. And then you go ahead and take action. What I'm hearing you say is that um, in taking that action, you can almost redefine your intention from adhering to some outside standard to versus what's important to you and how you define your care and your action needs. I love that definition of the yin and the yang of, of self-healing that really resonates with me, Namla. And yeah, and I, I I think this is where a lot of us struggle. I used to say it was women, but I, I see men struggle with this so much too, or any, any way that you identify in, in your gender. It's, it's that we're just told that somebody knows better than us and that there, there's all this expertise out there that we don't get access to inside of ourselves. And so we try to just follow the path. And you, sometimes that works out and it does, but I, I see people suffer a lot in their lives because they're following a path that's not authentic to them. And, um, and so that's the self-care can be small about, you know, what you eat for breakfast, but I think the small adds up to the big too, that if you can trust yourself and like, I like oatmeal every morning and <laughs> this is the music that feels good to me. And then all of a sudden, when you're like faced with a bigger situation, like, is this the right job for me? You're going to have more access to that, that wisdom in, inside of our, yourself. And maybe this is a place that self-healing and self-care intersect is that we have to connect to that center of who we are to get the wisdom, to know what to do next. Yes. And that requires like slowing down, right? Yes, yes, definitely. And self-healing, that finding that connection is also 
like a journey of you keep coming back to it. There's no perfection. There's just practice and you keep coming back to it. Um, I want to go a little bit into the workplace because you said you work with um, nonprofits as well as other organizations. How you, do you see this? Like, um, what are some of the misconceptions you see in, in the workplace or in a more, a more um, community environment? Um, in the sense that things that prevent people from really connecting to that core and taking that action that they know will be good for them. One of the biggest misconceptions that I've, I've discovered and, um, is that stress management has to be a personal job. Because I talk to people and they're like, I'm not good at managing my stress. I'm not good at setting boundaries. I'm not good at self-care. And when I look at the whole bigger picture of, of the system that they're in, I'm like, well, your, your boss is there working 70 hours a week. Like, how are you not supposed, how, how do you set a boundary when the person who's kind of giving you orders is not setting that kind of boundary with themselves? That the workload is too much for what you're doing or what you can realistically do well. So there's all this stress that's there. And that we make ourselves really responsible sometimes for what the outer realities of our life are. And I think this goes, you know, it's in workplaces, but it's anyone in modern humanity right now. It's just like, I don't think our bodies are made to sit in traffic the way that we do. I don't think like our constant exposure to screens, like our nervous systems aren't programmed to do that. And when we feel anxiety, when we feel depressed, like I, I do workshops and I'll go around the room and if every person there will talk about struggling with anxiety and depression. And I'm like, look at around the room right now, like these are not personal issues. Like these, this is something that's societal, cultural. And, um, and if you are in a place like a workplace where there are toxic patterns around overwork, unrealistic expectations, unaddressed personality conflicts, abuse of power, which many people deal with, then these problems are gonna get exacerbated. And so I think the first step is just looking and being like, is it just me? And then, um, and then from there, you can ask yourself, because I, I believe that there's always things that we can do for ourselves. And, and when I work with organizations, I always start with personal self-care. And that's the like, how do you approach habit change? Like, what are the changes you want to make in your life? How do you do it? Because we're taught this very, like, make a big change, use all of our willpower, that kind of like discipline to an outer force. And what I found works is small changes with a lot of intention, with a lot of self-kindness, and then just celebrating the wins and like getting excited about a cup of tea. I had one teacher I worked with in the school a few years ago, and she was like, I want to make all these changes. I'm overwhelmed. And I was like, well, what's the biggest problem in your life? And she said, my commute. I hate my commute. And I was like, well, what could you do to make that commute better? And we like brainstormed and came up with a cup of tea. <laughs> she was like, make this cup of tea. She was really excited about it. And we talked, I worked at that school for a few years and we talked a few years later and she's like, you know, I kind of scoffed at that cup of tea, but I did it every day. And it just helped me make my commute better, which helped me manage my stress a little bit better, which helped me make these other changes. And she's like, honestly, like I feel much better at doing self-care, but it had to start somewhere. So I, I work with people on that internalized perfectionism, which I think we have, which is like, if I can't do it all perfectly, I'm not going to do anything. I mean, like, you got to start somewhere. You have to get access to this power and this leadership inside of yourself because it's going to be necessary to advocate for the bigger changes that need to happen within the culture. So I think it has to go from that way of people really taking responsibility for themselves and their needs and being able to communicate that and not just kind of like, freeze or you know cause drama or the things that we kind of do when we don't know how to address something directly but then it has to involve leadership too to be willing to make some of the systematic changes and set the boundaries that are necessary for people to not feel like they have to manage their stress all the time and so the organizations that I love working with are the ones that recognize that both are important and and we're working on both of those at the same time yeah let's talk about so we talked about the, the small steps, the small daily steps, right? The small daily. I love your little action steps. And for me, that would be like the, the small um, contemplative moments added in there. That could be how you define your self-care. Um, and then those add up. But I want to talk about what happens if you fall off the wagon. 
if you like don't make that tea for a week then you know you start to criticize yourself for not, not making that tea which then makes things worse and, and so on so how do we or how do you see this playing out in people and then um like how can we be kind with ourselves in that point of self-criticism I think kindness that what you're naming the demo is so important because that is it and the, the first essay in self-carefully my book it's self-care and effing it all up I don't want to <laughs> have you have like an explicit wording on this podcast but I I wanted to start there because I think that's the place where all other books end around how to care for yourself. It's like, these are the rules and I really saw you do it and it's all good and we know it's good. And then when we can't do it, I think that's when we start to think that we're the problem. And so I, I, I think that, that those are opportunities to, um, to reevaluate, to learn more, to practice some self-kindness, as you said. And I think that's why thinking about healing and self-care in, in terms of cycles is so important because we're taught everything in this culture is very linear that so like you not good at self-care and then you get better at self-care and then you're awesome at self-care and that's the progression that we should follow for everything and in my experience that's not what it is it's like I have some great successes and then all of a sudden I'm like oh why is this so hard I had like I'm struggling to do this and I'm not doing what's good for me and then I have to really reevaluate take what's working, kind of recognize that some things are ready. I have to make some changes and let go of some things, even though they served me in the past. And then I started again. And so practices like yoga, I, I also really love the tarot because I think the tarot really shows us about cycles too, that it's all this, this cycle that comes together and it falls apart. Even metaphors like childbirth, where you have like a big contraction before an expansion. And you see that that's how we authentically birth something in our lives is like kind of letting things fall apart and then come back together. So keeping that in mind to me feels like one of the kindest things we can do to just say that like growth, growth happens in, in interesting ways. And I have to pause, as you said, and just like pay attention and kind of check in and see where I'm at. Because honestly, I think it's hard to locate where we're at in our cycles. Sometimes it's like, this is feeling really off right now is that because I need to make changes or because I'm having this big contraction right before something amazing happens so I think that's where the tools that you offer really come in around how do I like check in with my intuition uh, check in with this like inner energetic body pause and um and and see what comes forth from there yeah yeah I love how you said um letting things fall apart like and we as women experience that those who are on, on their moon cycle, right? We let things fall apart <laughs> in our bodies <laughs> and it happens daily. And, and for men too, like our cells break down and then they come back and it's, it's the beauty of letting go so that something new can be born out of it too, that I love. Which brings me to, as I was getting ready to talk with you, I was like, okay, what are my biggest like self-care issues? <laughs> that I wanted to do. Let's dig in. <laughs> Let's dig in. First one, boundaries, big for me. And I'm not just talking about like people in relationships, which is wonderful, but I, I run my own business. I work from home. I see my clients online and I do online group healings. So it's like everything is here. And sometimes it's really hard to differentiate that from, differentiate my work from like who I am and my personal needs versus what I want to put out into the world. So to me, that's like one big, big thing that I'm working with right now. How, how do you feel about that for you and for, for the people you work with? So that's a big question. That's <laughs> something I thought a lot about. Honestly, I think it's really hard. And, and this is a conversation that I hope more of us who are in the healing world and especially like the entrepreneur side of that can talk about because I think um, the work we do is so deep. You know this, that you go, you go with people in their really vulnerable places. And to do that, we have to go into our vulnerable places to be able to feel that healing so it's authentic. And then we're asked to like, promote ourselves and kind of go out and be very public and share a lot of who we are. Um, and it was something I, when I was single, I didn't 
feel a boundary around it. It was like, okay, I'm kind of going through this life and I'm happy to, I would share posts on social media all the time about where I was struggling and what I was learning about self-care. And it was effective in a lot of ways. Like people, people connected to that. And I, I enjoyed the connection and feeling like I wasn't alone in some of this. And it was, it was great. And then when I had kids, it changed. It was like, I was sharing their pictures more. And then I was feeling a little conflicted. Like they don't have a say in this. And do they want to be part of this conversation? And I started to feel like, oh, maybe there is a little bit of a boundary. And I, and I stopped being on social media as much because I, I, went, I wasn't going to share. And also social media is a whole other conversation around like, I think what that, what is that's becoming and how challenging that can be for us to like, be full and authentic in a space where there are so many different things happening. So something that's helped me a lot is to kind of trade the term work-life balance for the term work-life integration. That I, there's, there's a concept a lot in the, in the work world that like you keep these parts separate and you know that we can't keep these parts separate, especially as healers and doing this, this deep work. So I think that's just feeling that um, that they're they're really interwoven and that there has to be like a, a protection barrier around that. And for me, that meant really getting off social media was that even though I really I enjoyed being on a lot of those platforms and, and I'm not totally off social media, I say that, but like for me, it meant like not being on Facebook and Instagram every day. Like I can be on LinkedIn a couple of times a week and share and I, I actually get a lot out of that and that might change in the future was just paying attention to like what, what I was able to do and not able to do in terms of like the separation between our, you know, office space being our living space too. I think we're all struggling with that in, in pandemic working from home, uh, conditions. It's, it's, yeah, I'm curious to see, is there anything that's helped you to, uh, create a little bit more of a boundary for yourself? I have, a, I have a tape on my door that says recording, keep out find your dad instead p.s i love you <laughs> so, very good because i am the the go-to um i mean my daughter has a great beautiful bond with my husband as well but if she like if she made a picture she wants to show it to me and to him too but like she's going to be running to me first or if she needs to share something about her friends she'll be coming to my office space first and I do try to make myself more available in the times that she's home versus try to put my work bucket in the time that she's at school so this is it's you know it's more contained that way but occasionally I might have have an interview or a meeting or a client in the evening and and she knows that and she respects that um I think it's it's more like what's happening in me that's like I I need time to adjust from like if I'm in the work bucket <laughs> like soaked in work stuff like I need time to dry myself out before I go to the the family bucket and it doesn't always happen as neatly as I'd like it to be um, but I do feel we we've all adjusted quite a bit like for instance today my husband also occasionally works from home he was going to have a few meetings and he's very loud in his meetings and he's next door so he just went to the office to hold those meetings which I'm grateful for that we are able to do that so like a few little things that we juggle and 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 like you said it's not perfection but it's um it's more of a for me it's um if I can identify my source of like um incoherence that helps me get down or, or, or get grounded a little bit easier. So that's, that's the empath in me saying, okay, like I see how I'm experiencing going from this bucket to this bucket. Like I can give myself that cup of tea <laughs> as I go down yes. to the living room, that sort of thing. But yeah. I, I love that. And I, yeah, I think that that feels like so much self-care to me is just to name the space where it feels the hardest and to like give that a name in transition, like I'm transitioning and to have a concept around that, because I think that's what you're saying is when it's totally just feeling, I feel chaotic right now, we start to come into coherence when we can name it and give it, give it some vocabulary. And I totally relate to that transition of yeah. just being like in a really intense phone call and then being like, oh shoot, I got to go pick up my son. And then in 10 minutes, having to like completely switch how I'm interacting with the world. 
Yeah. And I think giving myself, you know, lots of permission for it to feel a little bit like janky as I do that, that's like, <laughs> it's not going to feel good as I make the transition. And my mind is probably still going to be on the work thing while I'm with my son for a little bit, at least that there's a tra- like a switching gears. And I, this is what I actually, I mean, I love so many things about having young kids, but I love that even then they pull me out of my work world and I don't, part of me doesn't like it. All of a sudden I'm like sitting in the sun, my son's eating a snack or like watching birds. I'm like, I would, I'd be my face on a computer right now if I had it up to myself right now, but having those ways to call ourselves out of the, the, the pattern of work, which can just be really consuming sometimes, but to, I think, let ourselves be a little bit ungraceful in some of those transitions. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I love that. Too. Which brings me to expectations, which you put beautifully, like not expect yourself to to be perfect in that moment, like to have that a little bit of a uh, colors mixing in together sort of thing. Um, I know that you are very deep into Ayurveda. <laughs> so how do you add that into your life and how do you... Um, advocate people to do that um what are some of the practices that they could add to their lives mm-hmm. oh don't get me started in Ayurveda <laughs> but, uh, I, I love it so much it's um it's just been such a wonderful framework for me to understand myself and the world the Ayurvedic written texts are some of the oldest texts in the world they're like the oldest ones are seven thousand years old and it's this really intricate, um, but also kind of simple in some ways system around how to take how to take care of yourself. And as you start to study it, you can get quickly overwhelmed because so much of it is based in a culture which is not it's not a Western culture, and it's so much of it is probably not realistic within our like busy modern world to practice and. I felt that way when I first saw like what they were asking me to do as an Ayurvedic morning routine in my Ayurveda book that I bought. 10 years ago. And, and what I've learned is that, yes, all of those practices are very helpful. And the times in my life where I've been able to dedicate myself to that, I feel amazing. It's great. And again, it's the perfection of just not looking at what I can do and looking at what does apply to my life. So some of the things that I think are really helpful from Ayurveda where we can start is one that um, self-care is unique. Like they talk about the constitution or your dosha in Ayurveda. And it's like, a mixture of how your parents were and your astrology. It's really kind of intricate of how your how your dosha is assigned to you, but it's your dosha basically means what combination of elements are most predominant. So are you more led by fire? Is your physical form more led by fire or the pitta? Or is are you more grounded? Is that the kapha, the earth? Or do you kind of go more towards air and um, feel more nervous or anxious and more creative, that's more of the, the air element. And this is where it gets a little confusing because it like switches throughout your life as you get older. If you have children, um, you can like experience other forms of it. So I think what's what's most important about doshas is not the like, what exactly am I and how do I like do the dosha thing perfectly, which is I think where a lot of people kind of come to me in Ayurveda being like, I found out on this dosha, what should I eat? And I'm like, well, there's just a lot there. It's going to shift a little bit. You have to just tune into yourself. But what's helpful in that is just recognizing we're all individuals and that we need to find the self-care that works for us. And then the other one, which is so natural to us, but I think we kind of forget it in modern culture, which is that we're connected to nature itself. And I I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, DC. I like sometimes went into the woods. Like I just didn't feel connected to nature. Nature was something outside of me that I enjoyed every now and again. But Ayurveda has taught me that it's, I'm not the elements that make up my body are not any different than the elements that are nature. And um, so the more that I can align myself to natural rhythms, meaning waking up with the sun in the morning, going to bed a little bit earlier at night. Another big thing in Ayurveda is, eating your meal midday, like a bigger meal is midday rather than like a big dinner, which we do a lot in the United States um, because of our busy work schedule, but that we actually, that our digestion is ruled by the sun and the sun is highest midday. And so we need to like eat more nourishment, which so many of us get hungry around 11 o'clock. And that's that, like I call it Agni and Ayurveda is starting to go. And so it's these things that like makes sense. And if you look at most cultures in the world, people do wake up early. They do eat their biggest meal midday. They do go to bed early. Um, but ways that we've gotten off balance with technology, especially, 
And so um, remembering that I'm a natural being, remembering that when the seasons transition, that I need to transition, thinking about what I'm eating differently, the practices that, that help me in the winter aren't the same practices that help me as much in the summer. So letting myself be in the, like the cyclical living has just been very profound for, for me and my self-care. And, and really what it is, is just looking at what's happening outside in the world and like looking at my backyard right now and like checking in to be, what do I need? So um, kind of the hack of that, if anyone's interested, is like, if you can wake up around the same time every day, go to bed around the same time every day and eat your biggest meal midday, you're doing pretty well for your nervous system. That, that those are the kinds of things that like help our nervous system feel stable enough and kind of in connection with nature too. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the rhythm isn't just, there's the, the 24 hour rhythm, like you say, the sunrise, and then there's the, the moon rhythm. And as I'm discovering now with astrology, there's the rhythm of all the other, <laughs> other planets going on around. So there's a lot there, but just for me, I feel like, um, the biggest change was also paying attention to my my moon cycle and my energy levels around that like um noticing that my energy tends to be more in the in the first half and then tends to, I tend to get more inward in the second half more and more and more and giving myself what I need at that time and allowing myself a few more calories in the second half and that sort of thing um but I I know that there's a lot there that we can dive into um but i want to come to another theme which i'm actually noticing that you are in the process of doing which is um simplifying simplifying our um where we put our attention i know that you're in the process of simplifying your website how how do you see that happening in in you your business and in your in your clients and how does it relate to self-care it, it makes me think about the self-care teacher, the Ayurveda teacher, Maya Tawari. Have you heard of her work before? No. She, she does a lot of very awesome work on women in Ayurveda, particularly around the moon and cycles. I, I've learned a lot about Ayurveda from reading her books. And I, I got to do a workshop with her a few years ago at Yogaville in Virginia. And, that, and she said, like, the most important thing we need to do as women is simplify. And that's like... Basically, I think what I was getting from it was that we can't feel our connection to nature if we're totally overly stimulated by everything in our life, that we need moments for stillness, we need to feel space around us, because that stillness and that space is where that deeper connection to our intuition and our wisdom lies. You know all of this yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, but it is, it does require letting go. And that can, that can look like decluttering your space. I've, I've focused on that over these past few years. I did the whole like, uh, Conmary, <laughs> get rid of everything that doesn't bring you joy. Um, it was very powerful for me. I, I got rid of so much stuff and I broke up with somebody in the process because I realized oh. that person did not bring me joy. <laughs> right. And it can be a lot looking at like what's working and what's not working. I've gotten, um, I've joined this uh, business support community in the past year run by someone named Tara McMullen and it's called the What Works Network. <laughs> and I, I really love her philosophies because she's like, well, look at what's working. And there's a lot of things in my business that I was like, I, I enjoy doing them, but actually they're not meeting my needs. They're not meeting my financial goals or like recognizing, you know, I used to do calls at night and that was fine, but like, pandemic parenting with two kids like I just was done at 7 30 when my kids went to bed like I needed that time for myself and so it's just I had to change some of those structures so things did work for me for my energy for my financial needs for also my desire for impact I started to see like I have a healthy dose of ambition in myself and I can get critical of that because you know maybe as women we're not supposed to want as much but I was like I wanted things bigger and I realized that that wasn't an ego thing for me, but rather it was like, I, I believe in what I do. And I, I, I think that self-care work is powerful when we bring, especially when we bring it into communities and organizations and how do I organize my work? So it has more impact. And part of that was simplification. It was like, I have to look at like, this is the series that I do. And these are the kinds of organizations I work with. And like, I'm going to put my energy into that so it can multiply in the way that I, I really can. 
think there's something that I've been told, like just cast a really wide net and you're going to get a lot of fish, but that is not actually how it's been working in my life. It's more like the smaller kind of like pond that has been fertilized really well. And that's the place to go fishing. Uh, so, but I, but I think that's something that's really important to name and all the simplification is grief because even just in letting go of the clothes that did not bring me joy, I cried my eyes out of just kind of recognizing, oh, I've been holding onto that sweater for so long because that person gave it to me. And that some part of me is kind of like holding onto them, or I kind of want to be the kind of person that could wear a dress like that. And I don't think I'm ever going to be that kind of person. And, and these things are important truths to tell ourselves around what's what we're ready to let go of, but um, there's a lot of feeling in it. And in this past year, I've let go of two communities of clients that I've worked with for years. Really beautiful work. Love the people in these communities. And it just felt done to me. Like I felt like I was looking at this other option of working with organizations. And, and a lot of them, I think, were done. But there were definitely some people that didn't feel done. And that was a really hard thing for me just to like let, again, boundaries, like let people have their feelings, kind of choose what was right for me and to also allow the grief that was there. But um, I think I used to think that if I felt sad about something, it was the wrong choice. And I don't think that anymore. I recognize that the mm -hmm. sadness that comes often is a sign that I have chosen what I need. And I just really need to like mourn like what's been, what's been there and how that served me and, and how I'm going to miss that element, even if it's not the right thing anymore. Yeah, I love that. I love it. It coincides with that idea of like letting things crumble, but also it's it's okay to feel sad about that if if you know if that has been a part of your life for for an amount of time. And I also love that you mentioned um the the fire element, the wanting to do things, the ambition, and which brings me to one of the things that I'm recognizing now is that my expectation from myself is to, to perform like at a hundred, 110, like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, we're going to get this and this and this done. And then I know, like, as soon as I start to walk out of the bed, like my energy level is not at 110, it's like at 50. And then I'm going to get distracted by like 30 percent. <laughs> percent of the time or I'll be pulled into different things like answer that email do this whatever and then I'll end up doing the 20 and then what I'm recognizing is not to beat myself up that I couldn't start at 100 but to say like how can I nourish myself because the 30 percent of distraction is going to happen anyway because I know myself and things will life will throw things at you but how can I expand my how can I nourish myself so that I can expand the 50% to maybe 55 or 60 the next day? And those are all the things that you're mentioning that a little bit more sleep. And then on, for me, most of the days, that's the, the yin element, the turning within the, the crystal healing, because I know I will feel a lot more um, energized after that, like that 30 minutes that I can carve out of my my time is going to give me like a lot more than what I have given it. Just that little time will expand and grow and open up for me. But again, managing those expectations about what we can accomplish and where we are in life is also part of um, part of the simplification process of perhaps not spreading ourselves so thin <laughs> on wanting to do or attempting to do everything versus saying okay like my energy is here let me you know focus my energy to not the 10 items but maybe just the one item on my list that I can get through however much I can get through today while taking care of myself I relate to all of that yes uh it makes me think about in Ayurveda, it's it's never like shoulds or shouldn'ts, it's balance or imbalance. And so you look at what's happening and fire is such a powerful element to work with in ourselves because we can get burned. You know, we burn things down if we, if we let the fire or we like, it's hard to get fire started if the flame has gone out. So I think it's a real art to know how to work with that fire in ourselves, how to, how to like feed it kindling and keep the, keep the flame going without dousing it with gasoline 
And that's, it's like that my anxiety and my, my fear, that's what douses it with gasoline for me. It's the anxiety. If I don't get this done, then my business is going to fall apart. And like the totally irrational little voices that are in the back of my head that can push me too hard sometimes. And just saying like, yeah, what are the things? Like, how do I get focused and how do I take breaks? That's been really big for me because I can just keep going indefinitely. And then I'm like, I get burned out. Like, like that crunchy feeling at the end of the day that doesn't feel good. And so I've, I've, um, you know, when Ayurveda, when you look at balances, you have to give yourself the opposite of, of the element that's going out of balance. So when fire goes out of balance, it's like, it's very quick. It's very hot. It's very, um, pungent and intense and spicy and oily. And, and so what we need to do to like balance ourselves out is we need to like slow down. We need to cool down, like drink a nice like glass of water and sit there. The crystal healing sounds like perfect for balancing the pizza uh, fire element when it goes out. And, um, and, you know, and diet is so important too. I, I think something that's helped my fire so much is really learning how to honor my digestion around what, you know, what foods do I digest? And especially in the summertime when fire can get so intense, just making sure that I'm not eating a lot of spicy food, that I'm really able to like eat the cooling fruits and things like that, that, that keep me a little bit cooler. But all of this is really an art. And I just want to also speak that we are not taught this art at all around how to, how to recognize something like fire in ourselves and how to stay balanced and how to transition. Like these are things we're really discovering together right now, or at least we're reclaiming ancient wisdom and trying to make it applicable to modern life. Yeah. Yeah. Gracie, this is all beautiful. I love the depths that we're going into, but I want to know what are you, what is your self-care challenge right now and then what is your like next um curiosity next evolution about like what are you drawn to right now oh self-care challenge (sighs) i i think i like i think we have core issues that we just always come back to but i i really think it is around just letting the people that i love the people in my sphere have the experiences that they have without kind of getting drawn into them too much. And it's, I think this is like pandemic living with my husband all the time. It's like when he has a bad day, I really have to work with myself to just be like, he can have a bad day and he's having a hard time, but actually I'm kind of okay. Like uh, things are feeling okay within myself, but I, I feel that tendency very strongly to want to take care of others and make sure that they're okay. And uh, this, this inclination that if I can't be okay, if someone else around me is not okay. So that's a lot of work of just the, the energetic boundaries and the, honestly, just like telling myself that it's okay. Therapy helps me a lot. I have a wonderful therapist who kind of helps me understand what's mine and what's other people's. But I think I might be learning that one for the rest of my life on some level, but it's, it's good work. Cause I, I sense I'm not the only one who struggles with that. Oh yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It's really as empaths, like feeling what other people feels it. Um, and you're right. Letting them, letting them go through whatever they're going through, especially if this is someone you love, or if it's your child, your pet, whoever that is, it's hard it's not an easy thing to do, but it's also, um, it's a little bit about um, putting, giving them enough love and trust to know that they'll be able to handle it. Um, and I say that, but I, I'm, all, I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Working. We need to remind each other. Yes, yes, yes. Gracie, thank you so much. I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, is there anything that you want to tell people about finding that balance within themselves as well as in, in the places that they work? And you've given so many great tips already, but is there any anything you want to leave them with? Thank you so much, Donna. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. I've loved it. And I I really want people to hear, I think if I have one message that is the message I would most want on my tombstone <laughs> is that self-care isn't selfish. Cause I think that beneath a lot of people's kind of self-care blocks or the ways that they want to practice more self-care but can't is this belief that, that gets ingrained in us very early that we can't take, that it's selfish to put energy into ourselves. It's selfish to feel good if other people around us are not feeling good. It's selfish to even enjoy the things that we have in our lives. 
and in, like this comes at us from media, this comes at us from probably lived example within our families growing up. And for women, it's, it's gonna probably be more intense. And so being able to look at the lived experience of your own life of like during periods of my life when I have taken really good care of myself, has that hurt other people around me? And, and just in my own experience, it's like, no, the, it's completely the opposite. Those are the moments where I have energy that I can hold space for other people, that I inspire other people. I think about like when I started to do the Ayurvedic work very, very intensely for myself, my dad got sick with cancer and it, you know, I, I would not have been able to show up for him in, in a supportive way, a truly supportive way, if I had not been practicing so much self-care at the time. And he did end up ultimately passing away after being sick for a few months. And I think back on those months and I'm like, I showed up as my full self and I really was able to heal a lot in our relationship. We both could because I was practicing self-care. And he told me as he was passing, like, I see you taking care of yourself and it makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a big kind of heavy life thing there, but I, I share it because I, it was, a, it's those moments where we think that we have to sacrifice your family member has cancer. You have to sacrifice yourself. But of course we have to push ourselves a little bit to be there for them. But, um, but just, I could feel the power of what the self-care was. So I I just want to urge anyone else out there right now that if you feel like on some level, you taking care of yourself is going to inconvenience or hurt someone to question the truth of that, because my sense is it's probably way more the opposite. The more you take care of yourself, the more you're going to be able to be a light for the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, How can, can our listeners find you? I know that you work with organizations, but do you still do um, group work with individuals as well? Yes. Yes. Well, first you can find me at my website, selfcarewithgracie.com and Gracie is spelled G-R-A-C-Y. And I think some of that will be maybe be in the show notes too. Yep. I, I do post on LinkedIn still. I, I'm like a fan of LinkedIn these days. So if you're on LinkedIn, please connect with me. And um, I am working mostly with organizations, but I, I have one self-care leadership program that I'm just about to launch. And I don't know when the podcast will come out, but it's going to launch in January, 2022. And it's about, it's a self-care certification program. Um, so leaders within organizations can come and get certified in self-care. And it's, it's really about the elemental self-care. So it's about how do we care for the fire within ourselves? How do we care for the air and space within ourselves, the water, the earth, and and how do we embrace a more cyclical approach to ourselves and our life and our self-care and our, our work? So that's going to launch the pilot program in January. So if it's if it's not that time, feel free to sign up on my website for the waiting list. And uh, thanks for this opportunity. It's, Thank it's you. Really Thank great you so much connect. for all that you do. And for um, I feel like you're bringing like the individual work into, into a bigger umbrella with the organizations. And I love that. And I love I love this information to spread out and <laughs> everyone to be to be mindful and connected enough to to be able to care for themselves. So thank you so much, Gracie. Thank you, Dama. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Conversations with Healers. If this episode spoke to you in any way, please leave a review or comment, like or love it, and share it with others in your life. This is a true soul love project from my heart to yours. I really appreciate your help in spreading the word. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and check out other episodes to listen to some extraordinary healing stories and advice. Have a beautiful and wonderful day.